into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Welcome to Pod Damn America, the first week in May 2023. 2023, we have today's top stories. Your commute, the local weather, crime. Is that because I did such a radio style intro yeah, well, sentence just now? Jake isn't here. I think it's time that we clean up the place a little bit. We take things a little more professionally here. This is a big opportunity for writers and entertainers to make themselves known. Is it, you think there's an executive who's like freaking out and like scrambling and listening to like every podcast to f- try to find scouts? I gotta get Anders on here. I gotta get Anders hosting Newsroom. I'm bringing back Newsroom, and this time it's Anders. <laughs> Just me improvising the Newsroom with What Jeff happened to this country? <laughs> oh, that's to- something we forgot to talk about on uh, the network episode. Is uh, the influence on the uh, one Keith Olbermann. By the way, I'm Alex, and this is Anders, and we're professional, and we did, by the way, we did a bonus episode on uh, network. But yeah, what, what did we talk about? So I f- really feel like Howard, that Howard Beale character influenced Keith Olbermann's whole vibe. For okay. One, and then inspired the stupid monologue at the beginning of the Newsroom series, season like, one, episode one. From We're, we're number 12 in education? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's yeah, like yeah. a total departure. And from- again, if Anders was hosting the Newsroom, it would be like, you ask kids what they know about 1996. They don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just quizzing at each child on who Jack Kemp was. They don't know the uh, big hits on TV in the 70s. <laughs> we are here in Casa de Flores That's on right. Cinco de Mayo. Uh, but Wepa. our did not mean to put that much Spanish in that sentence. just happened to... Yes, sometimes it happens. Yeah. Grow up. We are uh, down one Jake this episode. That's correct. He went to... The, and I've done this before. The wrong place. You went to the wrong house. And a lot of you are writing in, you're asking, what makes it the wrong place? Well, two people are at the other place. That's what makes it the wrong place. And today, Jake is at my house, and he's knocking on my door, and my wife is telling him that she's frightening. Uh, he's frightening her, and he's not allowed in. Did she and, really say that? No, she said he was allowed in, and he said it was awkward. Anyway, uh, <laughs> me and Andrews are at Jake's house. We're not drinking tea and playing cribbage right now? No. Uh, we're at Jake's house. Andy let us in uh, from the Antifada podcast. Shout out. Yeah, and he helped us set up. The roadcaster that we are recording onto right now. Andy is a producer of the episode. We have a large upside down cross in our in our sights, and we're ready to freaking discuss the news. That's right. Today's events. Indeed, so, the uh, show's going to be a little more professional this week. Um, we uh, that you know I've made this mistake before. Nobody's going to admit doing crack during this episode. <laughs> that's not. That's one thing that won't be happening. 
I'm, I was about to say, I think you're due for one of these screw-ups. Yeah, you see? I, I fucked up once. All and I my haters, here. they wait they wait for me to slip, but I never do. I think you will. I never do. I I'm always 100% sharp, except for all of the things I say on air that are terrible mistakes to have said into a large audience. <laughs> um, what are we talking about today? We got... I'm glad you're out of business. WGA strike. Cross off Jake at wrong apartment. That's done. Tackled. <laughs> Tackled. Everyone knows where he is. He's sitting on the stairs at my house. <laughs> I would hope that he had left by now. Oh, yeah. He has work. Yeah. I just, I'm having fun picturing him as the, uh, well, he's like sad and the Charlie Brown music is playing and, well, he can't, <laughs> he can't get in. <laughs> um, but, uh, in how do I segue to this? In um, not so fun news. In not so fun news, a man was murdered on the subway from an act of vigilante terror. Uh, Michael Jackson impersonator Jordan Neely on the New York subway. If you do not live in New York, sorry, it's New York time, baby. Yeah, this is. There's a lot of New York stuff happening. Maybe your stupid town should have more outrages people, happen. People complain about them. that a lot. I gotta say, I really. What if? I just th- throw I this out say, there. Gotta say, suck my whole dick. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't gonna say that. <laughs> but Bad I may just Anders suggest. <laughs> I might just suggest that perhaps the amount of coverage New York City gets in the broader national, international media sphere. Uh huh is actually proportionate to, to the, the population, yep. the logistical import of All the, the city. All the stories that we have. Right. Out here in there naked. And a lot of people don't want attention. I don't know if, if Omaha, Nebraska could handle all the hype. If you it was couldn't constantly. handle the descent into fascism our city is having. Right. Where ex-Marines I mean, are murdering people at will on the subway. The thing I will say about New York is uh, at least people are, are now, unlike other cities, not armed to the teeth, yeah. usually. You know, the cops are. Yeah. Their dogs are. Uh-huh. But your uh The one saving civilian, grace. Yeah. Yeah. People usually don't have guns. and Is um, that at least the uh, psycho Marines on the subway don't also have rifles? You're yeah. Saying, <laughs> you're saying that would make things a lot more scary. But this guy was not even, the, the murderer in this case, yeah. was not even a citizen of New York, New York. He was from Long he Island. He was from Long Island. And this is important when you're discussing New York to a broader audience, to the nation. And that's what you have to understand. Long Island's like no good. <laughs> they, don't, they don't make good stuff over there. They make Tim Dillon. They make this guy like they're just it's like they have a beach. They just call Dead Seal Beach that everybody really? goes to because it's so poisonous. The seals go there and die and teens do drugs there. And that's what kind of environment our Republicans are growing up in. Man, I thought that we had a dog poop hill where I grew up in Virginia. I thought that was, <laughs> thought that was gross, but dead whale beach. Jeez. Yes. Dead seal. Dead beach. seal beach. It's, I don't think it's blue enough to kill a whale. I don't think whales are getting close enough, honestly, but, uh, would hope not. Yeah. I've heard a lot about this from Jeremy Hammond. Long Island. Yeah. Zone. Long Island is, uh, reactionary. I mean, it's, it's a microcosm of the United States in many ways. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, a lot of high concentration of conservatives is basically the reason New York. Well, the reason the U S house is now Republican is because of Long Island, basically. Yeah. Um, also because the Democratic Party didn't um, invest anything in swinging those seats. But Still they do have a Still think it's fun to high... go to the Hamptons, knowing this? Yeah. 
You they have a high shit. concentration of of reactionaries. And that's not to say that some and it looks like this is important to point out too, there were other bystanders. Yes. Who not only bystanders, participants in the kill, in the murder. Oh, also, we're not reflecting this accurately, but this is like a really upsetting news story. <laughs> yeah, I, <it's laughs> two random uh, a random uh, man did vigilante murder to a homeless uh, a person having a. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, say see, I, like even an episode, just like somebody being upset on the subway. Yeah. And then two other strangers also helped him do it. So there were accomplices there. Right. And it really emerges the, uh, the political moment we're in where the media is trying to act like this is like a complicated issue. Like there, that right. there should be a line where you're allowed to go murder someone when this is really just wholesale illegal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, immoral, sure, but also just like, if you can do this, it's fucking open season for our entire society. It really does open up the broader reflection of the, the uh, attitudes towards homeless in this city, which is pretty much like the policy is, it is illegal to be homeless. Uh-huh. And if you are committing crime, uh, it's somewhat, I mean, if not directly legal, legally gray to do harm to you. Yeah, they're treated as a hazard. Yeah. Just uh, an obstruction of commerce, of uh, transport. Right, I'm going to work and you're trying to get food. So what are you doing? Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of hot takes about just um, if Republicans are really going to line up for this and say that it's okay to kill somebody, what is the the next stage of the uh, discourse going to be? And it's like, bro, that's that's where they've been at for 50 years. there, there has never been a uh, a pro homeless agenda or like a, a facet of the reactionary wing of this country. This is just something we purposefully don't talk about because both sides of the aisle are in tentative agreement on you know how you can treat these people who aren't bringing money into the economy. Yeah, I mean the one thing I will say is kind of a tricky line to walk is like okay, let's say you know. We did invest in homelessness, and let's say this guy, Jordan, did have uh, a home and better uh, facilities and, you know, better care. Maybe he still is, like, annoying people. Yeah. You know, and that's You can be annoying in any constituency. Yeah, Yeah. and that that doesn't really have anything to do with the the, the guy murdering him. Yeah. That should be kind of beside the point, but... At the same time, this does speak to a broader trend in our society, just in general, of treating people as not human, right? As, as, treating like people said, as not human, essentially and, doing like uh, full light of day lynching in the New yeah. York City subway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, as a show, we're against that, and yeah. we do not like it. And so if you would like to join any of the protests happening this weekend in your given city about uh, the murder of Jordan Neely, get out there. Please do it. Go um, get out there. Apparently, so as you said, our elected officials uh, don't really have a, an adequate response to this. Uh, Eric Adams is kind of, you know, refusing to... What did Hochul say? Hochul so said I have something it right about, here. like, stop being weird or something. I have it right here. She said... Uh, People who are homeless in our subways, many of them in the throes of mental health episodes, and that's what I believe were some of the factors involved here. There's consequences for behavior. So there's consequences for behavior. Yeah. Of just everybody of a certain class in this country immediately identifies with the killer. Right. Like off the bat. Just it's crazy. Of- 
It, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's like nothing has really changed. They've always been this reactionary, but I feel like there was a time when people were, public officials at least, were against vigilantism. <laughs> Am yeah, I misremembering I that? Theory, but I, at the same time, I mean, this is the city that produced uh, Bernard Goetz. I was about to say that, yes. Yeah. Um, if people are not familiar, there's a guy who was... Uh, ostensibly about to be mugged on the subway in, I believe, the 70s or 80s, and he whips out a handgun and shoots the supposed assailant. He shoot, well, he shot four teens, four, and one of them okay. got paralyzed. Jesus. And he was lionized as a hero, um, particularly among ethnic whites in the outer boroughs. Um, yeah. And the composition of the city has changed to where I feel like a lot of those people have moved to Long Island. Yeah. Uh, and are going to be lionizing people like, uh, what's his name? Daniel Penny, something like that, the the killer here. Yeah, who does not look like Anders, by the way? Stop writing in and saying that Anders looks like that guy because he has completely different hair. They just both have mustaches. I, okay, I, I let me back up here. <laughs> not trying to make light of the situation at all, but, um, because yesterday I was trimming my beard. <laughs> And I accidentally nicked off too much hair, so uh, I was like, "Oh, just shave it all." And if I sh- if I do a full clean shave, I look like a Simpson. Yeah, it's like a little too much. I so I fine. usually do a mustache yeah. and just let it grow in again. And then I go the mustache. I go out, and then I see that this guy also has a mustache and blonde hair. And I'm uh, did it, not. It's not intend. too similar. Okay. But the, the face you made in the pic in the chat showing like, "Uh oh, I picked a mustache today," is pricelessly sad. In a way that brought me a, I a mean, few laughs. In I, the might, I still might shave it, I, I, but I kind of feel like Michael Bolton in Office Space, like he should change his name. Like this guy, And I would predict he will shave his mustache before he goes to court, if he goes to court. Why do you predict that? Because it's... You can have a mustache in court. Yeah, but I feel like his lawyer would tell him to zip it, zip it off. I actually don't know the protocol about that. I mean, <laughs> so there's no rule. <laughs> That you can't have a mustache, right. but I feel like it... It's it, disrespectful. It, yeah, I just feel like he should try to look like a... It makes him look like too much of a ruffian. Sure. I I don't know. I associate mustaches, I think, because my father used to have one Same. with, like, people... like With, like, a working man. And so it's, like, good to have one. But uh, I don't know. I guess it could be a bit uh, base in its in its intentions. Well, I, I think the mustache in itself is a neutral sight. I think he face, should keep it, can, and that he should be in jail. No, I think he should get rid of it because I maybe I'll get. If he doesn't, I'll get rid of mine. <laughs> I don't. Li- I don't like looking like this guy. To be clear, one uh, of you has to change. <laughs> I don't think that many people are too concerned with this, but <laughs> I, it will be a bit weird for me to show up to the protest with a mustache. I'll probably shave it before. Anyway. In New York, we have other news, local news. Uh, Kathy Hoko, who we mentioned, she's just incapable of, like, going fully uh, good based on anything. Like, she can't bring herself to say, like, that murder is wrong in this case. Well, she is essentially a Republican who uh, is in charge of the Democratic Party of the country. Quick recap on Kathy Hochul, in case you forgot. Our former governor was outed as some kind of weird sex guy and had to leave, and then she just kind of slid in there, and we couldn't get her out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so this time last year, there was, and people forget this, there was a primary challenge to Kathy Hochul uh, from Jumani Williams, who is the public advocate here in New York City, 
and people are mad at the working families party for and they ended up in basically got her over the line in the general election against Lee Zeldin, who is supported by all these uh, Daniel Penny types in in Long Island. Um, and people are like, well, why did you, uh, you know, you're in the tank for Hochul, but they did, in all fairness, in try to primary her. Yeah. It just didn't, he, he got washed. Jumana got washed. And some of that is just for... We're saying know, that respectfully. Right, right because uh, there were some personal things he was dealing with. Um, his you know, wife was, was mm-hmm. sick, was very mm-hmm. sad, and so he wasn't able to run like a full campaign. I mean, it's also, um, it's hard to it's primary really hard. a sitting governor. <laughs> yeah, and at first, Tish James was going to do it. She bowed out. I don't know what really happened there, but um, Kathy Oakle was was overwhelmingly renominated and then by a hair was reelected. Uh, and a lot of people just don't really know this woman in New York, and they just kind of like, oh, she was there behind Cuomo. She filled in, uh, and so, sure, let's give her a go. Um, but there is, she is... Uh, Cuomo's shadow... She is like trying to do Cuomo, but she's there's no Cuomo like Cuomo. There's no. There's Cuomo. only one guy who can do it. He's the best, baby. Fully. Uh, he's he sucks so bad, and he's the best at doing it. Yeah, you've ever seen. As we, I think, discussed a few months ago, she tried to ram through this conservative justice and the uh, socialists and progressives in the New York legislature were very disciplined about opposing. Uh, Judge LaSalle, I believe it was. And um, so since then, she's been really uh, angry at the left. She tried to sue the Senate over not confirming this guy. Huh. Um, but one fight. You can sue the whole Senate. You can sue anybody. You can try. There's America. I got to get money, man. It seems like a lot of fun. You can do a lot of a lot of cool stuff you can't do Yeah, normally. Um, Sue the Senate. <laughs> well, if you have enough money, you can invest in renewable technology, which is huh. a fight that was has been brewing for the past four years. Build Public Renewables Act started when Cuomo was in office, the fight for this. You may have heard about it on this very show. That's right. Um, it's been a long saga. Uh, back in 2019, there was a... In law, there's like a standard that New York has to meet, which is 70% renewable energy by 2030. Yeah. Cuomo signed that law saying that, yeah, we're going to do this in theory. Because we're a liberal state, we can do things like promise to do good stuff later pretty easily. Right. That's an achievable political goal. Yes. Uh, And now we are at 4% renewables. Now, I'm noticing that's far from 70. Yeah, that's like... It's around 66% 66 or so off. Yeah. Math guys here. A lot of... We're just burning trash. (laughs) Yeah. And we got seven years to do it, and there's been no real, like... (laughs) It's funny when you say the numbers, (laughs) LS. It's just me counting things? No, I just mean... Check out my (laughs) one-man rendition of the newsroom. We're counting down. People love when I do math on here. I feel like that's a time I took out on this podcast when I kept trying to do math and getting it wrong for the New Year's episode. Uh, But anyway, I just meant that it was funny that we have so much... uh, That we have so much work left to do, Anders. Just a little little ha-ha there. That's right. Professional podcast, there is no Jake Flores. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, there's a long way to go, but... so. As you remember, last, I mean, there's this been a long fight. We phone banked for it. We, in 2021, 
Uh, I remember I was visiting. We did the phone bank here. We ate Popeyes. We we yep. had the uh, eco socialist folks on the show. They talked yep. about the importance for this, and then uh, then an entire year later, it looked like it was going to pass. They had the votes in the Senate. It passed the Senate, the New York State Senate. Correct. And then something happened in the Assembly. They had the votes on paper, and the Speaker Carl Heasty was like. Sorry, I'm not going to bring it to a vote. And people were like, "But, but you have the votes. We talked. We did the head count. Right. There's enough people to get it passed." And he's like, "Yeah, no." This is also a man who takes money from fossil fuel corporations. He does. However, my theory on this is that there were at least a few, probably many of those uh, yes pledges. People who said they were going to vote yes who were actually, like, behind the scenes, okay. like, Carl, so, Carl, Carl, Carl. Yeah, yeah. Shut it down, yeah, Carl. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. Can't do it. Um, and he kept them anonymous. I can't lose my fuel, Carl. He did not name names. But put it all on fuel. If you follow the money, it's pretty clear who those people were. And um, in, and I'm, I've been struggling with how uh, personal to get here because this is a big part of how I spent my summer in 2022, mm. I had just gotten... Uh, Don't admit to doing crack. That was the one line <laughs> I said for the episode. <laughs> we just can't cross that one line. I will not. <laughs> I will admit to listening. It'd be funny if you didn't mention it before, and then three months later, we're like, I tried it after Jake said he tried it. <laughs> one t- I will admit once I was at a party and put on Leftover Crack, the band. Oh. Because I thought that the people there would like it, and they okay. really did not. Huh. It almost beat me up. That's really tough. Well, that's not quite as bad, though. Yeah. All right, so anyway, you you didn't want to get too personal. Right, but, yeah, I guess it's relevant to the story. Cause I, I, well, just, just do broad strokes okay. with it, I think. That's pretty safe. Okay, uh, Russia invades Ukraine. <laughs> Anders Lee A cat gets... crosses Anders. Well, yeah, Russia yeah. invades Ukraine. Honestly, yes, if we want to start there. Just recapping last year. Yeah, okay. 2022, Super Bowl, get crossed by Black Marie. cats are bad luck. Yeah. Uh, Bengals lose the Super Bowl, and uh, Russia invades Ukraine, uh, and Anders Lee gets out of a job and yep. moves back with his tail between his legs Correct. to New York City. Uh, and I did work for a uh, the, the Working Families Party, and not mm-hmm. here to, you know, promote every single thing they've done. I think, you know, there's many fair criticisms of WFP, but I did... Uh, there's so many families out there. Yeah. Especially working ones. That's right. Um, I wonder if, if anyone's trying to change the name to like abolish the family party. <laughs> That's like a the polyamory party. Come on, yeah, the working thruple party. The working <laughs> the unicorn party. Just what you need. Uh, but I honestly, so I was worried that don't you want to fuck the unicorn party? <laughs> <laughs> so they they have a they had a, an assembly slate because that's where a lot of the good legislation in New York was going to die. Whether it's the New York Health Act, Build Public Renewals Act, was the state assembly, um, and I was a field organizer, and I was very worried about talking about this because uh, I am a no good Nick clown, and I you know didn't want those these two. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to get anyone else in trouble. I didn't want it to be known that uh, New York Families Party had hired a lunatic uh, Russian asset. Right. uh, Moron. Who's just happens to be a maniac when it comes to knocking doors. A madman cut loose by the bear. Yeah. 
but there were like 10 seats up in the assembly and um, that, that WFP was challenging as part of the slate. I was assigned to a guy who was not DSA, and mm. I think, and there's some overlap. Some people were both DSA and WFP. Uh, and I, that's what I was hoping for. I got assigned to a guy who was just WFP. He was good on the issues. Uh, he won. He was one of two who won. There were only mm. two people in the slate who won. So it looked it looked bad. Um, it was him and Sarah Hanna. Uh-huh. Shresh, uh, I can't say her. I should have looked up how to say her last name. Sorry. Apologies. She's in the Hudson Valley, and she won by a hair, too. And you look at her and her opponent. I remember going through her opponents. He was an incumbent. And he was another guy who was like, yeah, I'm for the Build Public Renewables Act, but anytime you would, like, ask him about it, he would, like, say all these really critical things, almost like he didn't actually support it. Um, Getting a lot of money from fossil fuel industry, but was backed by a ton of unions. So that, and that was the case for a lot of these races, where if you're challenging an incumbent, the unions tend to side with the incumbent. Even if they're progressive unions, even if they have like a militant rank and file in some cases, they still, it's, they hedge their bets, right? They're going to go with the guy who's, or gal who's more likely to win uh, because once they get in there, um, they're going to remember who backed them and who didn't back them. Um, And whereas if you have a progressive challenger, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to back them if they win. Uh, but if they win and they they shock everybody, they're going to be on our side anyway because they're progressive. So we might as well just back the corrupt incumbent. Um, but she managed to pull it out. And build public renewables was a huge issue for her. Uh, and so flash forward to, you know, they, the primary was in June on my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I, it was all, I spent the whole day in front of a polling station. Just thinking about the bill. Which is your passion. Keep in mind. I mean, (laughs) not from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah, it's too much of a good thing. Yeah. Um, But several months, took several months to to get these people in office after they, you know, basically de facto won. And uh, I don't know how to go about talking about this. I've, I've mentioned it on Twitter. The guy I worked for... And again, I was just doing my job. I was going where I was assigned. Mm. It turned out he had done a little, a um, mm. few perverted acts. He was a sicko and a pervert. Yes, he was a sexually... Uh, a sexual Frankenstein. Yeah. Of misdeeds. He sexually assaulted somebody like a long time ago. I mean, I, that doesn't matter that it was a long time ago. 2015, not that long ago. He's a pervert and a sicko. Yeah. Um, but it, we on. got over the line for public relations. <laughs> well, <laughs> but let me. <laughs> so it's this really awkward point where, like, he had been in office for two months, and then this comes out, and he is now refusing to step down. Ah. Uh. And it's very awkward. Um, and he is now taking credit for the Build Public Renewables Act, even though everybody in Albany is treating him like a pariah. Like, you yeah. can't actually meet with anybody. You don't really want him doing that, even. Yeah. Because it's bad by association. But uh, it did get included in the budget. It was not a standalone bill. It was included in the budget. And I tend to think that that had something to do with the composition of the Assembly changing a little bit. Mm. Because there were other races, too, where... Uh, 
Mary Jane Shimsky, I believe her name is in in where my mom grew up. Actually, uh, she challenged an incumbent, and she was slight, you know, not quite like sure. a, a bona fide socialist or progressive, even, but to the left of the the guy who had, in, who had been in there before. So enough, they had enough assembly yays to get this thing th- into the budget, and they had to and fight Hochul. Oh, yes, yeah. really bad. There were a lot of concerns, too, that it was going to get watered down by uh, uh, fuel interest to essentially cut all the union jobs from the bill and right. uh, wa- water it down, make it you know a shell of its former self so you can say it passed, but it doesn't do any of the things it's supposed to do, and that didn't happen. You know, We got the golden language in. We're getting great coverage now in the media, and how much of that is due to this sicko? We can't say. Is it instead due, because again, we were fighting Kathy Hochul on this, due to uh, the power of parody and satire, as somebody put up a Kathy Hochul for Governor website where she is running as a Republican and is uh, getting Onion-style bashed for her positions. And you know what? If you're 19 years old, you may think that's cringe to put up a parody website, but guess who doesn't think that? Kathy Hochul, because she's old like us and is probably clutching her pearls <laughs> at being bashed on Saturday Night Live internet, which is how she... what That's what she calls the internet. She's so old. And yeah. uh, these things do move the needle. It's impossible yeah. to say what changed her mind. Right. I mean, I think it was just a... Because to be clear, the budget as a whole sucks there's a rollback of as far as i as i've heard this is the only good thing (laughs) yeah there's a rollback of bail reform um which is completely unnecessary and it's just to cave to like reactionary uh political voices and there's also um not enough money for housing and this is after you know we shelled out a lot of money in tax subsidies for uh the bills Hochul's team conflict of interest there to build a new stadium um mm. and they they don't have enough money to to do things like fight homelessness uh so but yeah the, there's a great account it's at hokel 4 ny on twitter and it's uh kathy Hochul for republican governor and uh maybe it got in her head because we you know a lot of people certainly were, enough people sent it to her yeah where she definitely saw it because she at first wanted to gut bpra um, and then what do you know? It, it basically, you know, not a hundred, like if you remember the original plan was just, uh, basically abolish Con Ed. Yeah. Which hopefully will still happen. Uh huh. Um, but now it is to use the New York power authority and we should explain what the legislation does, but, um, so in case you don't remember from our previous episodes, when Roosevelt was governor here in New York, he introduced the NYPA, New York power authority, uh, which is the biggest in the U.S., um, and this is going to enable it to just build its own uh, public power, straight, you know, invest in renewables, wind, solar. We got a lot of offshore sites where we could have wind windmills in New York. Uh, sure. We could even destroy Long Island and just make it into a giant wind farm. And we're not saying you could, you should do that, but it is up for discussion on the table of destroying this tainted and evil place and replacing it with a wind farm. Yeah. Um, what else could you get out of Long Island? Is it sunny? Not that no. sunny, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, not any more than the rest of the city. <laughs> a lot of people... There's less skyscrapers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people fart 
on Long Island. A lot like of I go sure. Somewhere. I think that's actually not good for the environment, though. Yeah. Not, not, I mean, I wouldn't have amount. started there as a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also. We'll write it down and get back to it. <laughs> this is also going to use union labor and is uh, going to prioritize people it's, uh, whose bosses it's going to hopefully put out of business in the fossil fuel industry. Sure. Uh, those workers, so often union, uh, it's going to be letting them get to the front of the line for jobs in the clean energy sector yeah. uh, that will be well-paying. I mean, my understanding, and tell me if this is off base, is in the short term, there is just no way without public direction and oversight we are reaching these climate goals and uh, reverting more power to New York Power Authority over Con Ed allows us to actually even try to meet the goal. <laughs> yeah. That's the point of the bill. Right. In the short term. Yeah. And we're also going to shut down uh, a lot of these uh, big polluters, these plants that are um, 78% of the residents who live near a lot of these big polluters are either low income or also people of color. And so environmental racism is a huge uh, aspect to this as well. And this will um, shut down those plants and replace them uh it's a green new deal style bill people and now we put it across the line you can get it going in your state that's right and this and that's the thing is i've been thinking about rolling we're getting great coverage yeah that's the thing i think about like the original new deal is that a lot of that was in the federal level right and you know history doesn't repeat itself when we talk about uh the new deal now and sometimes i i question the utility of talking about New Deal if, like, I mean, I guess we learn about that in school, but the yeah. only people with living memory of the New Deal are, are like... dead. Dead, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they have no living memory at all. <laughs> or they were babies when it was happening. Right. But I think this sort of stuff, uh, if we do get to a New Deal, a Green New Deal, uh, it will happen state and local first. And I'm trying to think of the youngest you could be to have like a memory of the New Deal. So if New Deal's happening in 1932, like the beginning of the New Deal. Not even. Roosevelt gets in 33. 33, okay. And 30, a lot of the stuff doesn't get passed till Let's just say later. 33. Uh, it is 2023. So if you were like born as Roosevelt takes office, you would be 90. Yeah. So it's a tough go to have too much of a recall for that right but, yeah. i mean there are a lot of people who grow up who grew up um like 20 years after the new deal where it's very much a live thing phenomenon oh it's shaped politics of the entire country yeah and that's why we're still talking about it right, now right uh so i think it is a useful yeah it, it just it's you know and we're talking about i remember saying this uh last year it's like well, man, it's it's 2019 when AOC introduced the Green New Deal, and it's like now it's three years later, and like it's four years. Is anything happening now? It is, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but then I remembered the first time I ever heard of the new the Green New Deal was in 2012 with uh, Jill Stein. That's right, my first presidential. By the vote. way, 2024, we're getting her in. <laughs> this is our year. She man, the barricades for Jill. But- you wrote her in, and uh, I wrote her in in 2020. That's correct. <laughs> and I'll tell you, there's a high chance we're getting her in in 2024. Um, I think it's a very funny gag that every one of my presidential votes has been for Jill Stein, <laughs> and I'm probably not going to abandon it unless I have a very good reason. <laughs> I mean, it's only going to get funnier as time goes on. I mean, uh, God forbid, if she dies, she's still getting on that ballot, baby. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, it may not happen all at once in the federal. Oh, I should mention though, that, that a lot of this was made possible. And I think that is another big change from last year is the, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which, uh, you know, we were all like, boo, it sucks. Boo. However, it did uh, apply a lot of, like, tax incentives for renewable energy, which I uh, think may up have... Up the raw. Yeah. We're full IRA now. Oh, yes. Solancha. Chucky Allah. So that's good news. Isn't that weird to report on good news? I mean, we'll see. It, I mean, it's it came get after a, we said a bunch of bad news at the beginning, if you recall, and yeah. all that stuff. But, you know, I, to have even one moment of good news is so strange and nice that it really can just, like, brighten, like, a long period of time for you if you actually think about it for a while. So, yeah, Green New Deal in New York. Yeah, Thumbs up. and shout out to Shout out to everybody who power. did anything for this, yes. by the way. Eco-socialist. A lot of the folks, my homies, on the... David Laxus campaign were instrumental mm-hmm. in this as well. Yes, and of course, double and triple shout-outs for the, uh, uh, the full-time, you know, staffers who, like, worked on this. Well, thing. a lot of this was done with volunteer yeah. labor, yeah. Yeah. Um, good stuff. And do it in your state, as we said. You know Nebraska's 100% public? I did know that power? for some reason. Yeah, it's not, like, wind and solar, but it is, yeah. like, owned by the state. Is it because like seven people live there? Maybe. Why does Nebraska? They just have a meeting the and they're just like, let's just do this between ourselves. <laughs> I mean, they got a, a lot of good. St- <laughs> they got a unicameral legislature. Uh-huh. They have uh, allocated whatever the term is electoral votes. So that's uh-huh. why you always see one little blue dot in Nebraska. Uphold Nebraska cycle. thought. Yeah, it's not bad. Okay. Um, big sky country. That's right. We gotta we gotta shout out at least one. Middle of the country flyover state. We're looking because, at you, Nebraska. That's right. Uh, because we are really doing bi-coastal this week. We're, yeah, we're, we're talking NYILM. We're extra elite. We're trying yeah. to get jobs right now. <laughs> we're bo- Andrews and I are both trying to scab, which actually brings us to our next I interview. Would, you know, I would love to be offered <laughs> just so I could It would it be down. so flattering to be like, we would love to have you replace <laughs> name any television Seth thing. Myers. We'd love you to be Seth Myers. We're going to gray your face like in The Irishman. <laughs> Put you up there and entertain all the elderly for this country. Yeah. Do you um, remember the last uh, writer's strike in 2007? I do. Yeah? What do you remember about South it? South Park was up and down. <laughs> oh, really? Did they? Well, they were like libertarian guys at the yeah. time, right? So what yeah. did they, how did they respond? Um, I feel like they kept cranking them out somehow. Son I think it was bitch. just like just Matt and Trey. I, that may be incorrect. Isn't it? Always been them. Did they have they ever had other writers? Isn't it just they, those they, no? They have like staff writers in South Park. I'm pretty oh, sure. Do? Okay, I'm pretty sure. I've, I'm, I do not want to go on the record about all, all this right, South all Park right, shit. All right, but all yeah, right, I remember right. South, the quality of South Park dipped in 2007. Regardless of what happened on the show, this is what I recall. Uh, I mean, kind of a surreal time. You had Conan just kind of winging it. Um, I don't know why they kept doing shows. I mean, uh. They did not hire scabs on Conan and some of the other shows, um, but they kept going on the air and they would just wing it, have guests and talk about stuff. He really could have just done the Walker, Texas Ranger uh, meter. Do you remember that? Uh, the Walker, Texas Ranger meter? Not meter, but uh, lever. You'd pull a lever and a clip from Walker, Texas Ranger would play. This oh, was a huge shit. thing on Conan in the mid-2000s. Uh, became, honestly... 
more popular than the show, arguably. He would have people harass him on the street, say, please uh, do the do the lever again on TV. We love it. Um, and he could have just done the whole show as that. I don't mm. know why they didn't. But. Uh, I had to look into this. So I believe South Park did go on strike, but they did an episode very critical of the strike afterwards. Oh, that's so... Where Canada annoying. goes on strike because they're so... What their heads flap around up there? Oh, okay. they had and a so whole. So you got to roast them Canada. for that. I I, it's, it was like one of those like two thousands humor thing, like a random thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we got a great interview for you coming That's right. up about yeah. the writer's strike. If you'd like to know the details, was like on the ground. Stay yes. tuned. Yes, we are talking to a newly unionized writer in Southern California. Uh, Netta Davarbana. Let's go. Okay, we are now joined by Netta Davarbana. Thank you for coming on the podcast again, uh, Netta. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be back. And uh, we're in New York. You're in L.A. It's uh, the two places in America uh, and the two uh, hottest scenes right now for the WGA strike. So um, hot right now. Things are heating up. Uh, you are a WGA member. What is has the last week been like uh, in your life? It's been it's been kind of crazy um, because I just joined the Writers Guild a couple of weeks ago. I'm currently in the process of writing my first episode of TV, and then the strike happened. So it's a very interesting time to be brand new to this union, kind of learning how it works through like the most intense period of time. Well, afterwards, you'll be very familiar with how everything works. <laughs> yeah, I'll be ready for the next strike. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. We'll see if it takes another 15 years. Um, what, uh, what Have you been on the picket line this week? What's that been like? Yeah, so in addition to being part of the Guild, I'm also uh, part of DSA Hollywood Labor. And so we've been sending people to different pickets every day. So the first day we were at Netflix, and then we went to Sony yesterday, Amazon. Today we're sending people to Warner Brothers. So... I've been kind of bridging between DSA and the Writers Guild a little bit. Okay, so at the picket, you're out in front of the building. Are there people peeking through the window shades at you and stuff, or is it too far away to really have that strong conflict brewing? (laughs) I mean, the funniest thing is, like, sometimes people will honk at us, like, in support, but then they'll, like, drive into the lot. (laughs) Oh, no. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm sorry about this. Yeah, exactly. It's very that. <laughs> well, here in, in New York, I went to a picket yesterday and there was a, a scab truck uh, and there's a whole to do about, you know, are we allowed to let them pass or not? And uh, ultimately, the police kind of forced the the picket. The strike captains were like, legally, you have to move to get this this truck through. So they're reluctantly were like, OK, we have to let them through, but let's shout scab at them. Uh, have there, yeah. have that's there, a fair compromise. <laughs> have there been any, any uh, scabbing uh, in the, at the pickets you've been at, and, and what's the reaction been to that? Well, one thing I did see that was interesting now that you bring that up is there was a UPS truck that was uh, supposed to drive in, but then when he saw us, he like turned himself around and he was like, I'm union too. I'm not, yeah. So, and, nice. and so he kind of, yeah. So that was actually, I happened to walk past that it was as it was happening, and it was amazing. Jake shared this story with this PA who went out to get lunch and then uh, crossed the picket line across to get the lunch, but then wouldn't cross it to go back and just distributed the lunch. Right. There's a lot of like spontaneous moments of conscious happening. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. from what I gathered, I, I think he was the he was lied to by the executives. They're like, yeah, it'll be like a neutral site for you to get, get back in. Yeah, through and there was. They think it's funny when you cross them. Yeah, uh, and so he showed up on the worker side but um that that is something else i wanted to ask about as well this uh neutral gate language which is is sort Mm -hmm. of highfalutin uh certain ports places and buildings that uh there's like this legal ambiguity with um do you know uh much about those what what, what's the uh what's this what's the deal with that yeah I, i i it's funny like i saw one yesterday at amazon and i was like wow they're ready for this because it was like a it was like a professionally printed sign, the kind that you'd think they've had for years. And I was like, wow, like, so I don't know, they're, they're just fully ready to just do kind of any loophole that they can to like undermine these, these efforts of ours. But I mean, we're out there, we're, we're fully like on either side of the gate, like, you know, and then surrounding the buildings and every protest I've been to so far has been just brimming with people. So it's, it's not like we're, you know, deterred by these kinds of things. Right. And, and we mentioned other unions earlier. I know in the past there's been sort of like tension uh, at certain points between, for instance, the DGA Directors Guild and the Writers Guild and IATSE. Uh, does everybody seem to be kind of on the same page this time in, in terms of Hollywood unions? Yeah, I think this time it's interesting. Like, I mean, within the Writers Guild itself, it's it's, I, you know, I was too young for the last strike, but I, I heard that it was much more um, there was much more division within the guild about that. But this time you know, they voted overwhelmingly yes. And, and I haven't, you know, I haven't seen anything other than overwhelming support. And then with IOTSI, um, which I'm also a member of as a writer's assistant, you know, we're all, you know, getting out there in solidarity, like pencils down, you know, kind of supporting the guild in that. And then through DSA, I've been able to meet people from other unions like the DGA. Um, you know, I met someone who's an AD who has, you know, come out in support. There's so many actors in SAG who have come out and, you know, they have like their own, you know, we have like our little DSA table at the strike. They have their SAG table. So it's like, it's just nice to see everyone out there together. So you're supposed to be at three times the pickets of your normal working writer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned the 2007 strike, and I feel like uh, consciousness in general has changed a lot since then. I remember, you know, growing up around that time, the only thing you would see about unions in the news uh, was about scabbing, particularly like union members being mean to scabs. And there's it's just wrong, these, right? All these local news stories about that. Uh, I mean, obviously, all of us they, were. They throw trash at them when they come back from deployment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're called scabs for a reason. Uh, but all of us obviously are too young to, to be involved in that or really remember it too much. But is your, has your sense that just uh, society in general in America's attitude towards union has changed significantly in the past, like uh, even decade? I think so. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we, we do live in a, you know, economic system that kind of suppresses union activity. And, and so they're not as strong as maybe, you know, we would like them to be. But I think that like in terms of the the sort of cultural consciousness that I mean, if you say the word scab, people react like it's a dirty word and it's not like, oh, you know, just no, it's like you, you don't want to be that person. So I think that's definitely like in the ethos right now. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned you, you joined two weeks ago, um, but I was wondering if you could maybe lay down for us the uh, situation that led up to the strike what and what some of the demands were. And uh, if you were involved in taking a vote or, or the meeting subsequent to the strike and just what um, what really the writers are, are fighting for. 
Yeah, I mean, I myself wasn't part of the uh, the voting process, um, but I, you know, I uh, see the demands that were, you know, raised and the reaction by the AMPTP and just how, you know, kind of they put the Writers Guild in this position where the only recourse was to strike and was to protest. And, you know, the demands that they're asking for are incredibly reasonable given what's happening to the profession of screenwriting, which is that these companies are trying to turn writers into gig workers. And they're doing that through several means. Like, first of all, they're slashing wages, they're slashing residual payments, they're trying to and they've steadily been shortening the length of writers rooms, like, you know, you have rooms that go for like eight weeks, and you're supposed to churn out the same amount of scripts that you would in like a 20 week room, which is just insane. And so it forces writers to have to take, you know, gig after gig after gig to make their year. And, you know, this used to be the kind of profession where you could support a family and make a decent living. And now people are finding it hard to even pay rent in LA because of what's happening to this industry. And so the, you know, demands that they're asking for are things like, you know, guaranteed number of weeks, you know, like uh, three weeks per every episode. So for a 10 episode season, you'd have 30 weeks of work, which seems, you know, normal, seems reasonable to me. Um, and then, you know, negotiating on streaming residuals because the industry has changed so much that, you know, um, viewer-based streaming residuals or foreign, uh, you know, foreign viewership residuals, like just these things that are normal given, you know, kind of where profits are coming from nowadays. But the AMPTP rejected all of that. And, you know, we asked for basic protections on AI, which is becoming, you know, something that we have to contend with. You know, it's like, I don't want to live in a Harlan Ellison novel, but like we kind of are. So we like need to protect ourselves. And, you know, again, they rejected all of those proposals and they kind of forced our hand here. And the AMPTP, um, just for people who aren't familiar, what, what does that stand for? And, if you're and, not in the biz. <laughs> you're listening <laughs> the biz in lingo. while you're, you're on top of the skyscraper. You're welding with no uh, safety protocol. Yeah, so it's the, it's the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. And if you remember um, from the uh, the IOTC strike authorization, it's the same people that IOTC was negotiating oh. with. And so it's, you know, these companies that you might know, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Paramount, you know. So they have reps, the union has reps. Um, how are uh, each of these sort of fields of people um, selected and elected uh by their their various membership uh well this is something especially on the amptp side that i don't have that much knowledge about yet just because i'm so new to this but i know that um the writers guild negotiating committee was you know comprised of uh several you know active members who you know run for these positions and are elected and um yeah i mean they all you know release joint statements they're um you know, they're they're coordinating together and they're also, you know, listening to the membership because, you know, for example, we voted overwhelmingly like 97.85% to authorize the strike to give us leverage before the last round of negotiations. But if the vote had been anything, you know, less than like an overwhelming majority, I don't think that they would have done this. Like, oh. I think it's, you know, it's the kind of union that really listens to its members. It's interesting the uh, the state of the conflict here because it 
all all of the actual people who work on television movies are so uh, united in solidarity behind this, and it seems like everybody's showing up, and there's really high morale here at the beginning of the strike, and it makes you wonder how long this could go on. But then you get uh, peaks at the other side of the fence that really do seem like on the executive level, um, you're you're reaching a level of detachment and uh, aloofness that is so out of touch that it might be a while the the ceo of warner brothers talking to cnbc this morning said he's going to wait for a love of working to end the strike (laughs) (laughs) which is uh romantic in a way but does does imply like uh that these dudes are totally checked out i I don't really know like what were they expecting i guess is to kind of put a cap on that yeah, I mean, it's 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 nice to like be able to romanticize a system where you know you're the one in charge and you're the one benefiting from it. But for all of us, it's it's extremely, um, you know, we're kind of in this like war of attrition right now, where it's like, how long can we stand? But you know, we're doing what we have to do. Sure, a lot of people are boiling the strike down too to that uh, the, the advent of AI technology. That this is essentially like the. Uh, the business class at the top of these big companies is looking at a uh, chat GPT like it's a juicy hamburger that they can replace all of their writers' rooms with. Do you th- find that there to be any truth to that statement? I don't know. I think that may just be like an online uh, 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 red herring. I'm not at sure anybody actually hmm. believes that they can go entirely digital with their writers' rooms. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't. I mean, well, I think that, you know, they probably know that like you can never like recreate the uh, the like human experience of a writer coming to the table. And like, I saw some funny tweet that was like chat GPT doesn't have childhood trauma. And I'm like, no, it doesn't like, so they can't possibly write the stories that you see in any writer's room. But I mean, like to be serious about it, it's like some of the protections that we were asking for regarding AI were just like, you can't use AI to rewrite literary material or, um, we can't you or you can't use something that a writer from the Writers Guild has written to train AI, for example. So I think those kinds of things are, you know, pretty reasonable asks given, you know, and, and not based in some kind of like, you know, sci-fi like fantasy thing. But just, yeah, they probably would want to make this technology as intelligent as possible by using works that we've created to make it, you know, sound more like something that we would write or they might use it to rewrite something as opposed to hiring a writer to do that, which takes away a job, you know? So I think these kinds of things like, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how things will shake out in the next couple of decades. But, you know, I think for now, I think um, hopefully we get some of these concessions made because those seem kind of reasonable to me. Right. I I know one of the demands was uh, surrounding writers being on set, which if you talk to people in film, it sounds like that's one of the things that like, Actually, no one really likes. Like the writer doesn't like being on set, uh, or, some, or at least some like, people like it. Some, well, it's just like it's, it sounds like it must be torturous to be a writer on set in some cases. But uh, the director, you know, also gets annoyed by it. But it also seems like a very necessary thing in many ways that is being uh, deprived of of the industry right now. But so why is that demand important for uh, writers to be on set um, for uh, the the craft and, and the just the industry as a whole? Yeah, it's really important because, I mean, for example, like, you know, when you're on set and, you know, you're um, you're creating the scene and the actors are, you know, saying their lines, you might find that something doesn't work. 
and you need a writer there to just do a rewrite on the spot, you know, to pitch a line or to maybe even like change the way that the scene goes if it's if it's just, you know, kind of not working anymore. And so anything like that is considered writing. And so you need someone who who's qualified to do that. And um, right now with the strike, any productions that are happening are not going to have that presence. And, you know, hopefully people will see just how necessary it is and how, you know, we need this deal to be done so that we can get back to that kind of work. That's kind of fun. You get to play a little Cyrano de Bergerac. Anybody, anytime one of the lines just comes out weird, you just throw to the writer and just be like, just put, put pretty words back into my movie. Well, one thing, I, one thing I heard that the producers offered, they were like, okay, uh, we can have you on set, but it'll be like an unpaid internship deal, <laughs> which is like... Why oh would... It's work. It's Why yeah. would I go if it's unpaid? That's so silly. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of speaks wow. to the way they're devaluing uh, the work of writers. Do you think um, there's like a growing disconnect? Maybe it's always been there between uh, the produce, producers and like actually understanding what it takes to, to write movies and, and shows. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I definitely do. And I mean, it's, this is just something that we're seeing in, in so many industries because of this, you know, economic system that we all live under uh, because it's just the nature of like devaluing work and devaluing workers and, you know, offering them as little as possible, trying to like wring out as much work from them as possible and, you know, making us like bear the burden of the, you know, sort of risk that they're taking at the top, like the gambling that they're doing with like, oh, let me green light this show. Let me green light that show. If it doesn't work, we'll just cancel it. And then the writers will suffer. Or the actors will suffer or, you know, it, or the crew will suffer rather than them taking any kind of financial hit. So it's just this is just what we see across industries. But, you know, I guess thankfully, future union negotiations will have this strike as an example. Right. I, I'm curious how you uh, navigated this world as, as a pre-WGA writer, because you're in an interesting case where you just joined right before the strike. Uh, and now it seems like, you know, perhaps there are carrots being waved to other uh, current pre-WGA writers, you know, that they can jump aboard and, and scab and stuff like that. Um, but what is what is it like to sort of, you know, become WGA after a period of, of being pre-WGA? And, and what are sort of the, you know... Uh, perhaps things you have to reconcile with that the industry might try to um, exploit uh, pre-WGA writers on? That's a great question. I mean, yeah, it's like, and I, you know, I can speak to that because like, I mean, you know, just to be honest, like this is, I'm in the middle of like my first assignment really. And like, this is like my, you know, the beginning of my career, you know, the beginning of this next stage of it. And so for me personally, this is like maybe one of the worst times for the work to just stop, you know, because mm. it's like we're, we're getting started, but we're not even done. But I think what you do is, you know, you understand that like being part of this union or or not being part of it, which, you know, I wasn't up until kind of the strike happened, but still like being part of this industry and all of your colleagues and, you know, kind of seeing like your future career in front of you. It's like you understand that like these investments that I'm making now are so that we can have a better future, you know, for all of us, like for, for yourself included, you know? And, and so without hesitation, it was like, yes, this is what we're doing right now. But, and, and I think for a lot of people who are maybe like working in writer's rooms and in my position, it's easier because you see, you know, your bosses and your colleagues um, and you kind of hear their concerns and you're like, yeah, I get it. But there's also people who 
are, you know, kind of further away from the industry, but who are also writers and, you know, also pre WGA and, uh, you know, and it might be harder to, to understand kind of why this needs to happen right now when it could be, you know, maybe it's easier to just be like, oh, let's just get back to work. But I think that talking to people and, and, you know, kind of listening to their stories makes you understand that like, this is an investment that we're making collectively. And that's what, that's what unionization is. You also got to appreciate that uh, the people who write all of the fiction, all of the Americans consume are, you know, a lot of them having a formative mil- militancy experience that is then going to later trickle into all our culture over the next five years. That's kind of nice. It's going to move, that's going to move <laughs> politics. Yeah, hopefully we'll see some cool anti-capitalist art that comes out of this. (laughs) Can't wait. For sure. Did you get any of Hassan's pizza? (laughs) Wait, where did he send pizza to? He bought 500 pizzas yesterday. Whoa. So that's like a lot of pizza. Like you could have logistically gotten some. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, I'm going to have to like look for the pizza today. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully the the pizza distribution was was even among all the all the <laughs> picketers. But I don't I don't know if anybody's keeping track of that. That could have been that could just be one guy, <laughs> one fat cat eating four hundred pizzas. Um, I do want to know that, like on the on the pre WGA point, because you know this is something I've heard going around too, is that it's and I haven't seen this yet, but it's certainly possible and likely that the industry will be trying to recruit uh, non union writers. Um, but that is, if any of them are listening, that is not something you should do, and not only just on a on an ethical level, but uh, there will be likely professional consequences for anyone who who does that. Is that uh, your understanding as well? Yeah, I mean, people are. Enc- this is the one situation where people are encouraged to snitch, which is if you see somebody <laughs> scabbing, say something. Um, so get them. Um, but also, yeah, exactly right. I mean, you know, and it's. The- I was telling this to someone the other day. I was like, guys, we're not doing what they did in Sorry to Bother You where we're like throwing things, okay? So all we're doing is just politely being like, hey, don't do that. So I'm like, you know, don't get mad at us. But um, I mean, yeah, there are like definitely professional consequences when, you know, you're hoping to join a union that you're actively, you know, working against in the present. So I would say for anyone who, you know, is in my position or, or in the position I was in a few weeks ago, like, please just consider your future and, you know, your future colleagues and the kind of career that you want to have. Because for instance, you know, you might be barred from joining the guild if you're, if you're found out to be, to be scabbing. Like it's just, it's a super important thing to just stand in solidarity right now. Bro, you better be wearing a Phantom of the Opera mask on the scab bus. <laughs> you better have a cape. You better have a new name. You better have a wig on. It's just so counterproductive. You're going to run into these people for the rest of your lives. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. If you're that down bad for money, just do a different job for a while, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think this is a good idea for you career-wise. Right. Um, <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm curious how long you think this this strike will go on, and uh, is you know we mentioned how out of touch the executives are. Are they going to reach a point where they're like, oh wait, we actually do need writers, and do you think that will bring them back to the the bargaining table? Oh God, I mean, I wish I could say. I mean, yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean, the last one I think went for a hundred days, and God, I, yeah, I don't know if it'll go that long or or longer or not as long. Like, I really, I really have no sense. I mean, right now the morale is pretty high and people are getting out there. But like you said, the executives themselves are super detached. So I don't know. 
kind of who it's going to hit first. You know, I really have no sense. Yeah. We'll have to wait until, uh, I, I heard rings of power is just going to keep shooting. And if that comes out, <laughs> we'll get to really experience the limits of, uh, uh, no writer writer's rooms. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are also, are also, if I'm not mistaken, exemptions for like reality TV. Is that right? Do you think, do you think we're just going to see like a shitload of, you know, it's going to be like early 2000s redux on the streamers now? It's going to be all different Jersey Shores. All, uh, <laughs> this, how many well, different writers of the circle did they make? I don't know. Oh my God. Too many. <laughs> there was one for every country. Every country had a circle. I saw a bunch of Brazil yeah. circle. Wow. It, oh, they're wow. all kind of similar, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, which is, which is interesting, too, because a lot of that work could also be considered writing. Like, a, I don't know. It's just that that's a whole thing unto itself. But yeah. Right. And I, I think that cuts into a lot of the demands for the uh, the writers in the strike is uh, to get paid for residuals and these kinds of things so that you aren't boiled down into uh, these... Um, uh, horizontal jobs like uh, you can get relabeled a story producer and then you're no longer uh, covered under the same protections that you would be as writer because it's not um, clarified in the in the ink yeah 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 well, well while the strike is going <laughs> on uh, what are, is there anything you're you're working on I guess um, well I, I'm curious too is if if you were because I know you were working on a project before it um and like are you just not doing that like could you just work on it on your own if you wanted to or do you have to like really just abstain from that completely uh and is there anything else you're just uh working on writing on your own um well for that project that's for one of these companies and so um i think the mentality is just like pencils down and you know i'm working in a room right now for um you know for bosses who are writers first and so they like embody this mentality and so it's like the work has you know stopped for now but on my own like yeah i've got a pilot that i'm working on i've got a feature that i'm working on it's just that you know you're free to like write on your own it's just that you can't like shop it around or right. you know do anything like that so you know i think a lot of people are maybe using this time to write a new sample who knows <laughs> mm, nice well, uh, we'll definitely be, hopefully when the strike ends, you'll get that uh, show up and running again. I don't know if you can, can tease what it is, though, yet, uh, the show you were working on a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, I'll say it's a, uh, it's a Netflix drama. Okay. And, um, Sold. Yeah, if you're curious, yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be, it's going to be fun. So hopefully it'll, you know, be out and then you can, you know, you can find out what it is. Yeah, <laughs> keep cool. your eyes open for a fun Netflix drama. Fall of twenty twenty seven, after the strike's <laughs> over. Be there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but in any case, Netta, thank you so much for joining us yet again. Uh, formerly of well, also of IATSE and WGA, a joint fusion uh, union member. Um, anywhere people can find you, or anything else you want to plug? Um, let me plug the, uh, the website for the strike so you can like come and support if you want. It's WGA contract 2023.org. You can see like where we're going. If you want to join a picket, you can share their graphics on social media. If you want to find me, you can go to my website, which is netta.davarpana.com with links to the, to my like socials and like kind of which strike I'm at that day. Um, so yeah, thanks guys. Uh-huh, honey. And we're back. And we're back. 
May the strikers strike on into the night. Or yes. I don't know if you do that or not. I don't think there's anything to strike at night. But anyway. It's like shifts and stuff. Yeah, what, what's happening at night? What are you going to do there at night? Nobody's working at I mean, night. that's when they're trying to sneak in and make the new Batman. Yeah, <laughs> trying to, to, to wreck up all the props. Uh, it sounds like this. I'm very grateful I finished that today's top audio dramas before this this happened, which is not technically television, but is admired as some of the greatest work is, in the field today. It is writing. Yes. Um, it's writing and it's labor and it's valued. And I'm middle class now because of it. Really? Um, well, in spirit, which is what, if you make stories, you're middle class. That's what I've always told myself. Hmm. That's um, that's what Kevin James brings to the table with with his many blue collar jobs on television. Yeah, yeah, good man. Where is he? I don't know. Where is he? Where is Kevin? I was gonna say, or is he? I don't know what his his personal life is like, but that doesn't matter. Um, I've seen him sit on a lot of roofs and have a beer, <laughs> folks. Thank you for tuning in. We will, uh, I guess, link to strike information uh, if you want to find a picket near you. Yeah, we'll link to all kinds of shit. Yeah. It's going to be awesome how many links there are. Right. We got pickets in L.A., New York, and Omaha for some reason. Interesting. JK. Uh, although maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is something out there. Oh. There, you lied sure There are writers me. everywhere. <laughs> um, I just believe things you tell me at this point. This is to go to go with the Nebraska theme of the, yeah, the episode, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that was we'll 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 keep updated on that. Um, where can people find this uh, this new radio play of yours? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The latest season of Theater of Delights is out now. Uh, go on to your preferred podcast app and stream Grand Nidorino. Again, the plot is: What if the guy from Grand Torino had a Nidorino? And yeah. it's really some of the most compelling work you've ever seen. What is a Nidorino? A Nidorino is the evolved form of Nidoran male. Okay. Uh, and it evolves thing. into a Nido King. What is that? Is this Pokemon? It's Pokemon. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Well, we'll keep our ears peeled for that. Please do. I'm at Andersley here on Twitter, Dursley1 on Instagram. And uh, if you're in New York, in addition to picketing, please come to the next Botanical Comedy, which is coming back for the spring summer season next weekend. May 13th at Misfit Kava. It'll start around uh, 8 p.m. Yes, yes, yes. And also June 1st, uh, Paid Protest is back. Thank you if you came out to the last one. We have all of these on the first Thursday of the month. They are live stand-up comedy shows supporting different causes within New York City DSA. So if you live in New York City, which you probably do based on all the stuff we talk about on here, go to our show. You sick fuck. And that's going to be it for us this week. If you liked the show without Jake, hunt him down. Hunt him down in the streets like a dog. Please don't do that. Because people actually will and have <laughs> tried to do that. <laughs> it's not my fault, though, when they do it. All right. No uh, one thinks it's my fault, and we're done. It's finished. It's finished.